welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I don't even know where to start after that. Thank you, Darren. Thank you guys for giving me the honor of preaching this morning. It is such a gift to be with you guys, and um, it was such an honor to, like, those of you who don't know, I'm Romanian, so hearing um, the word writ, uh, spoken in, in the language, my first language is, is it's just, it's, it roots you, it roots you in the history that you come from. And, it just, and, and as I was uh, praying last night, just thinking about what today holds, uh, God took me on a journey of like my, my whole story and how he just shows up time and time again. For us, history is so important. We must know stories from the past because it all builds towards a place where, where we are today. And I want to tell you a story that you may have heard before, you may not have heard of before, but um, we must look back at, at stories in history um, to learn what God has for, for, for people back then, but also what he has for us today. And so I'm going to show you a picture um, of a, a building, and it's going to come up, and there it is. Um, this is the Hagia Sophia. It's one of the marvels of the, the medieval world. It is a uh, church that turned to mosque, turned to museum, I think turned back to a mosque. It has its own history. Uh, but this is a, a beautiful building, and it is filled with uh, amazing, ornate stained glass windows, this wide open high ceilings, mosaics dedicated to Jesus. And this is a place that people travel all over the world to visit and to see because it's such a marvel to look at. Yet, this is not the first building that's ever been on this plot of ground. Uh, Actually, it's the third one. Uh, The two previous buildings were all destroyed and then rebuilt. And I want to tell you about the first one. In 360 AD, the Magna Ecclesia was built. And it was just as lovely as a structure. People marveled at it, so much so that the Roman emperor at the time said, in this place, I want to build a statue honoring my wife. I mean, I think love makes you do things like that. And and how can he display his love by building a statue inside of the church? Unfortunately, the bishop of the church stood in his way and said, that's not going to (laughs) happen. So what do you do when you're the emperor, and someone says, no, well, you exile that person to an island because you clear any way, uh, anything in your way to get what you want. And so uh, that night, the emperor exiled John, the, the pastor or the bishop, um, to an island. And then he went to the congregation and said, tomorrow construction begins for this statue that I want. And in response, the congregation got together and they discerned, what, what do we do? And that night, they lit the church on fire. Their love lit the church on fire. For them, 
the early church, our roots in faith, were passionate about one thing, and it was love. It was radical pursuit for love of God and love of neighbors. And if anything were to get in that way, the church's response is burn it down. So today we're going to be talking about that kind of love. Welcome to Garden Church. (laughs) Buckle up. Um, We're going to burn it down. My hope is that we be kind people of that kind of love. That that kind of love roots us and fills us up to do the very same. Because when love is understood in its fullness, it will drive us to do that. It will drive us to do crazy things, things that don't make sense because what would drive a people to take the place that they would worship where it brought them safety and say, we would rather burn this down than have anything else come into these walls. So this is not the kind of love that the world teaches us. I mean, this is not that kind of uh, feeling love. That's the first point I want to make. Love is not a feeling. I mean, this is not the kind of love that pop singers write when they're 14 and 16 and they have their heart broken, right? Like, that's not going to drive you to, to do that. This is that real, tangible love. This, is, this can't be captured with words because it is not a theory. It is a reality to be experienced. Love is something totally different than feelings, And so there was a special kind of love that the New Testament uh, authors wrote about, and it was called agape. It was agape love. For them, this word captured what love actually is. And agape love is an inward disposition tied with outward expressions. See, it wasn't just feelings, but it was an inward reality that had to be lived out and expressed outwardly. So for them, this is the love that God showed this is how the New Testament writers understood, understood love. It was the love that God revealed to them and then were invited to participate in that love. So this kind of love requires everything of us. We must be fully surrendered to this kind of love. And this is the kind of love that Paul talks about in Ephesians that Eli read. This is that kind of love that he says, I want you to grasp how wide, how long, how deep, how high God's love is, is something that if you grasp it even a little bit, it will drive you and move you for the rest of your life. It's multidimensional. It is not just uh, uh, simple. It is deep, and it will take a lifetime to understand. Because honestly, if we don't get this love, if, if, if we just show up on Sundays and set up and tear down and make this middle school look somewhat like a church every week, and if we don't grow and understand in love, well, honestly, I'd rather go out to brunch than just do that every week. To me, if, if I understand the kind of love that moves people to burn down a building, that, 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 that moves people to get rid of any safety, anything that they're willing to tear down anything in their way to achieve that kind of love. Yeah, I'll, I'll wake up early. I'll stay up late. I'll do that every single day of the week for that kind of love. That's the kind of love I want us to hold on to. That's the kind of love that I want us to kind of grasp this morning. 
See, the early church left their families for a new humanity. The early church left economic stability to be supported by one another. The early church left uh, social and political status in order to align themselves with the kingdom of God, proclaiming that heaven is on earth. That's what loved moved the early church to do, and that's what I want us to invite us this morning, that we get a glimpse of how deep, how wide, how good God's love is. And so before I begin, or before I talk about more of that, I want to... Uh, I want to pray. I want to pray this prayer one more time. So uh, wherever you're at, just, uh, just close your eyes with your hands open as a posture of receiving and just sit with these words. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul understood one thing about love, and this is what he was inviting the Ephesians to understand the believers in Christ understand. And it was one thing, that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He, he wanted his church to understand that God loves you. And for those of us who maybe grew up in the church or didn't, you probably heard that a lot. It becomes a, a thing that we say to each other and we know it. You could probably answer it on a test if you were to be asked, like, does God love you? And you'd say, yeah. But the question is, <laughs> it's that, for us, it's, it's that disconnected, right? Yeah, God loves me. But do you believe God loves you? Do you understand just how he loves you? It's not a feeling. God doesn't have a feeling for you. He has agape to you so tangibly. And that's what the church is invited to understand. And so the whole scripture wit bears witness to this reality. And I just want to walk us through the story of God's love, the story that starts at the beginning of history and that is woven throughout all of human history. And if we can sit and understand that, maybe we can begin to really believe that God loves me. God loves you. And before we, we start anywhere, we have to begin with the one thing we know about who God is, and that is one. God is love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, God is love. It's, it's, it's one, I mean, honestly, out of all the scriptures, that's one of the clearest uh, descriptions we get of God, that God is love. God is agape. He is this kind of love. 
At the center of the universe, there is this God who is love, and it's not just one person. It is a union, a relationship between three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is not just some idea to believe that is a reality that we're invited to understand and to know that at the center of the universe, God is not just a being who loves or he has a disposition towards love, that at the very center of who God is, in the middle of the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is love. It's in that relationship that we see self-sacrifice, that we see serving, we see humility, we see love put on display, and we are invited to understand that. It's not just something that we observe from afar, but we're invited to move closer. And it is out of love, that God who is love, that we move to the second piece, love builds. That's what we know about God's story, that out of that love, he builds a universe. That love establishes the stars, the earth, everything in it, and he says it is good. And then he makes humanity. Love births forward humans to partner in with him to love, to cultivate, to build with him. And even when humanity chose to say, I'm going to love differently, God continues to build. When Adam and Eve partook of the fruit and listened to the lies of the enemy, God said right then and there, he's like, I'm not going to leave you in this. I'm going to save you from this. I'm going to send a Messiah because I love you so much that you're not going to be left alone. And then he establishes a people on earth to show his love, the Israelite people, And time and time again, God showed his love to them by redeeming them, by saving them, by establishing them, by protecting them. And they received that love. Yet, as we know, the Israelites chose to love other gods. They took God's love and pointed it to other places. They pointed it to other people, to other nations, and found safety there. And because God loves so much, and it is, again, actions, he does not force anyone to be with him. So in that choosing time and time again, God allowed the Israelites to be exiled to their own loves. And that's what we find for 500 years, this silence between God and his people. And it is in that silence that we find love. We think that's a, that's a cruel uh, point in um, Israel's history, but it was out of God's love that he allowed them to be separate from him. But the good news, it doesn't stop, it doesn't stop there, Right? Because love builds, and then love moves closer. And that's what we celebrate this week and Christmas, that love moves into the neighborhood. Finally, that promise from from the beginning when when God says, I'm going to send a Messiah, God finally comes and moves into the neighborhood, puts on human flesh, and shows us how to love. God loves us so much that he wants to be with us. And it wasn't just to be with us, to show us how to love. He models for us how to love God because it's everything that Jesus did when he was on earth was motivated out of his love for the Father in partnership with love for the Holy Spirit. But then it's not only that. He shows us how to love each other. He shows us what it means to be a human filled with love. And this is Jesus' whole ministry. And this is what the disciples saw when they partnered with him. They were so close to love, they saw how it is modeled and lived out, even to death. And it is that same love that resurrected Jesus. 
And it could have stopped there, right? So God, God, through all of history, keeps on moving. He builds, he moves closer. And then after Jesus' resurrection, he goes to sit with the Father. But then, four, love empowers. So when, when Jesus left, he could have allowed us to be alone. But no, he sends his spirit to indwell with God's people to empower us in love. It's not just for us to know and to observe from afar and read in a text that, wow, God is so good. No, now we get to experience God's love and it empowers us to show us how to love God and how to love others. God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us alone. And this is what has moved the church all throughout history. God has fully surrendered himself to love because it is who he is. And so what is our response? How do we respond? Well, God models love. He models love throughout history. It's not just uh, uh, ideas. God models love through action. So I took the liberty to make a, compile a list for us to just see how God has loved throughout the scriptures. And this is not exhaustive at all, but it's a lot. <laughs> I just want us to look at this list of love. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, this is how God shows us to love. What love is, that it is intimate. We see that in the Trinity, that it, it, it is joyful. It serves one another. Love is holy. Love is forgiving, but it also maintains boundaries. Love restores, it heals, it saves, but it's also abiding. It's rooted in wisdom. It seeks out, it seeks for justice. It protects, it hates evil. It is also transformative. It bears witness, it's nonviolent. As you look at this list, I want to just ask you, what, what, what do you find familiar about this love? What is, what, which, ones, which one of these words have you experienced? But which one of these have you not experienced? What seems foreign? This is how wide and long and high and deep God's love is. I mean, it's no wonder that when Jesus is asked, what are the greatest commandments? He says, love God and love others. (laughs) It's that simple. Right? Like, that's it. It, it, all, it all lands under that. So that's our invitation. How do we respond to such great love? Well, we respond to that love with absolute surrender. That's all it asks of us. Simple. <laughs> But God has given us everything to love like this. We must be fully surrendered to love because love was fully surrendered to us. Again, this is not the kind of love that culture seeks out through Hallmark or through pop stars or through consumerism or tribalism, whatever it is. That kind of love asks nothing of you other than your attention. This kind of love asks everything of you. Because it, was, it took everything to show us this kind of love. When you are met with God's love, it demands everything. And it is God's love that is evidence 
that the kingdom is breaking out. See, uh, I think a common misconception is that Jesus preached love, which, which he did, but that wasn't his primary message. Jesus' message when he was on earth was that the kingdom of God is near. That God's kingdom is here on earth as it is in heaven. And when we say kingdom, what we mean is God's rule and reign is a coming. That how God intended the world to be is now, being a, is, is now able to uh, be aligned. At the beginning, when, when uh, humanity took love into their own hands, that was lost. We chose to do things our own way, and God's kingdom is now here, and the way that God intended the world is now available. But the question is, what is the proof of it? What is the proof of God's kingdom breaking out into a space? What's the proof of God's kingdom established in our lives? And what we see through Jesus' life and ministry is love. Love bears witness to the reality that God's kingdom is here and now that it is a reality to experience, that you get to be a part of this kingdom. And all throughout the four Gospels, this is what the, the disciples see in Jesus, that his truth, his claims were truth, that God's kingdom was here because we see it through his life. And there's one story that Jesus points to someone else saying, this, the kingdom is breaking out because of this. There's one story where Jesus takes the focus off himself off of himself and onto another person. I don't know if you know this story, but maybe you probably do. But it is an amazing story. Jesus is at a dinner. He's enjoying dinner with his friends. He's invited into someone else's home, so as a guest. And then the dinner party is interrupted by a woman, Mary, as described as a sinful woman, someone who was, uh, a, for lack of better terms, a prostitute. She enters into that space, into this dinner space, and she comes towards Jesus with tears in her eyes. She lets down her hair, which is a sexual act that only your husband or someone who had paid to be with you would have seen your hair down in that time. She comes to Jesus on her hands and knees, tears in her hair, and breaks open perfume over his feet and starts wiping his feet. And I, I don't know if you ever really thought about feet in the ancient Near Eastern time. I, I've given it more, more uh, brain space than I ever thought, but just imagine getting on your hands and feet. To wash someone's feet, this is not like, our, our feet get dusty when we go to the beach. And it's like, oh, my feet are dirty. But think about when, like, you haven't washed for weeks. Mary gets on her hands and knees, breaks open this perfume that was her livelihood. It made her attractive to customers. It was the way that it, it generated income. And she says, I'm going to break this over Jesus' feet. With my tears, I'm going to wipe his feet. And, this, and, and her hair is covered in dirt. Like imagine just like it caking together. Your, this, this beautiful hair caking together, covered in tears and perfume and possibly blood as, it's, as Jesus' feet were cut walking from place to place. It is not a pretty picture. But 
what, and I, I can imagine what it's like to be a, a guest at this party, seeing this, this woman that has a reputation coming towards Jesus and making me sick. We're about to eat. Don't, don't do this around the food. Or doesn't Jesus know who this woman is? He wouldn't allow her to do this to him. Yeah, in, in the confusion, in, in, in the disgust, Jesus turns to his guests and says one thing. Her many sins have been forgiven. She has shown that she understands her, this by her great acts of love, agape. What Mary did was an act of love. It was messy, it didn't make sense, but it was love. And then Jesus goes on to say, Wherever the good news of the kingdom is proclaimed, so will her story be told. Because of love being put on display, Jesus says the kingdom is here. Mary understood how wide and long and high and deep God's love is. In response, she had nothing to do but give absolute surrender. She had nothing else to her name, but she gives it all to Jesus. And that is evidence of her love for him. That she understood how, how, how much she was loved. Mary understood that God loves her. And so she gave everything to him. And Jesus says, the kingdom is here. This is that offensive kind of love that we're talking about this morning. This is that, it doesn't make sense kind of love. This is inconvenient but extravagant kind of love. This is what agape is. It's how wide and how deep, how long and high your love is, God. May we begin to understand it. This is God's plan for the universe. And this is the story of love is weaved into history and we get to partake in that. The reality is God has shown us love, and in response, we must give absolute surrender. And and I want to say this. This can be overwhelming. When everything starts to click, it can be overwhelming. How wide and how good God's love is, it kind of can be paralyzing. Because then we're sitting in this place, and then it's like, okay, now I have to go out and Love like this? Short answer, yes. But I'm going to caveat it. Your role is not to love the whole world. God has done that. God God has made it very clear who you're supposed to love. Love God and love neighbor. Now we can get lost in the complexities of who's my neighbor. Um, Because some of us are going to travel the world. Some of you will travel the world and make neighbors around the world. But many of us are called to apartment complexes. Many of us are called to our neighborhoods. Many of us have more than enough to make children in Baba, Ecuador, our neighbors. So, 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 so don't think of the whole world. Think of who God is inviting in your life and say, that is my neighbor and I will love them well. So we can start by choosing having that posture of agape towards our spouses for those of us who are married. We can choose to love our house church if we're in a house church. We can choose to love our neighbors. 
our, our roommates. And that's just those people who have committed to us, right? But what about George, the politically opposite neighbor who has a loud dog and his trash keeps on piling into your side of the yard? Can we choose to love George? What about that coworker, the office gossip, who is always talking down to you and to your friends? Can we choose to love them? What about your aunt that you'll probably see this Christmas? The one with the Facebook memes? The one that talks to you with a little of a condescending tone every single word? Can we choose to love her? Or the uncle? What about the estranged father or the estranged mother? What about the people that um, have hurt us? And we'll, we'll never get that opportunity to get that. I'm sorry. Can we choose to love them? <laughs> I, I, I'm, the practicals for this morning are simple. Love God and love neighbor. We don't get an, <laughs> we don't get an opt out of that. We don't get the luxury of opting out of that. But all I can invite you this morning is to practicals on how we can grow our love. Because because all of this can get overwhelming. But if we posture ourselves to grow in love of God, we will naturally grow in love for neighbor. And neighbor includes enemies. We don't get to choose our neighbors sometimes, I guess. So how do we grow in love? Grow in love of God. Well, one, this is simple, but oftentimes we can't grow past the fundamentals. We must study scripture. Everything I've given you this morning comes from the Bible and some personal experience. But it's that meditation and understanding of what God has done and how he's impacted the writers of the New Testament that gives life to love, right? So how often do we meditate on this? We want that fresh new experience with God, but he's like, just meditate on what I've already done. All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, they're reflecting on what God has done, and that is fuel enough for them to be faithful. So the invitation is to study scripture. And then the second piece is to pray. Pray to God. Invite him in your life. Have those conversations. Prayer is the language of love that we get to, to, to have with God. And one scholar put it this way, scripture and prayer is like putting socks on for us. It should be. That's the thing we do every day. And then we get to do the rest of it. But that is just baseline. For some of us, that's all we can do in our season and there's grace for that. But many of us, that should be like putting on your shoes and socks and then going to go grow in love. So third, to grow in love of God, pursue God's presence with everything. The purpose of reading scripture and praying is not just to read scripture and prayer, but is to meet God in those things. 
These are graces that we have where we get to meet God's presence tangibly in a real way. And so if we're to grow in love of God, we must uh, read our, the scripture and pray and all, all in pursuit of God's presence. So if we're, if we're doing this, if we're putting on our shoes every day, we're putting on our underwear and our pants, and it stops there, then where do we go? No, growing in love of God moves us to grow in love of neighbor. And so I'm going to give you some practicals on how to do that. One, ask others how they experience your love. I can't stand up here and give you examples on how I've loved well. To be honest, I hope I have. I pray I have. But the way that you know if Michael Petrilla loves well is to ask the people in his life. Ask my wife, ask my neighbors, ask my house church, ask the staff members I'm around, ask them if Michael loves well. But if we are to grow in love, we must ask the people in our lives, how do you experience my love? Because we can convince ourselves that I'm a loving person but if the people around us say, I, I don't even know if you know what the word means. You know, the princess bride, I don't think you know what that, I don't think that means what you think it means. <laughs> Thank you for you guys who have good taste in movies. There we go. But the invitation is ask the people around you, how do you experience my love? Do you experience love when you're around me? May we be so bold to open ourselves to that that criticism, but also do that comfort. And point number two, if you don't have people to ask if I love well, be in a garden community. Be in a house church. Commit yourself to covenantal community with people because it's in that community where you get to open yourself to receiving love, but also giving love. And thirdly, pray for God to bless your enemies. If we're praying with God, if we're with God time and time again, the way we can grow in love of neighbor is thinking of the people who we can't seem to love and just asking, God, will you bless them? Will you be with them? And in full disclaimer, there are people in your life that are toxic and dangerous. And again, modeling God's love, you don't need to keep them in your life. But we do not get the luxury of cutting our hearts and love towards people. It may look differently. And especially if we're interceding on their behalf, we invite God to bless them. This is how we grow. This is how we grow in love of God and love of others. But there's, there's one thing that will keep us from any of this. One thing will keep us from growing in love, and that's fear. In 1 John 4.18, it says, perfect love casts out fear. That means the opposite must be true, that fear casts out perfect love. Fear will always come to mind when love is the invitation. Most of them are lies, and some of them are truths, right? 
Fear is an indicator of truth sometimes. I could get hurt. This person has hurt me. This person hates my guts. Some of that may be true, but fear is not the end all be all. Fear is a human emotion that God gives us to to discern what's happening around us, but it never gets the final say. When fear is put into the driver's seat, we have also anxiety, worry, control, bitterness. When fear is placed at the front end, we will always find a way to avoid it. In love, ask for full surrender. God is very clear about our, our, our role is not to allow fear and love to move the boat. It's just love. See, fully surrendered love is what pushed Mary past the fear of embarrassment. They know who I am. How dare, I'm not invited to this party. How dare I approach this place where I was not invited? How dare I approach this man of God? No, love pushed past the fear to move Mary to the feet of Jesus, to give everything to him. Fear is what told the early church to say, this is an emperor. They'll send you out just like he did your bishop. Fear says, this is your home. Don't, don't protect your home at all costs. No, loved, move the early church to say, burn it down. Our mission is to see love here in Long Beach as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And fear will always drive us to idols that distract us from that mission. And so our invitation is to be like the early church. We identify the fear We identify the idols that keep us from loving. And then we say, our king is coming. Let's burn it all down to make room for love. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.